what is going on everybody? It is Jason Jaybird Goldstein here for another episode of the Bird's Eye View, ready to bring you guys the Bird's Eye View on all things March Madness, and what a tournament it has been thus far. Oh my god, it's been one of the craziest tournaments we've seen in years. Lots of upsets. I'm starting to record this Monday morning before the round of 32 finishes up. And at this time, we already have three double-digit seeds in the Sweet 16. And we also have an 18 in the Sweet 16. And that's just, that's just the start of it. Eight teams from eight different conferences. It has been absolute mayhem. And I love it. I just love March Madness. It was an amazing set of games. I've pretty much been nothing, been doing nothing but watching college basketball since noon on Friday. And yeah, you know, my eyes are kind of bleeding, but I love it. I love watching college basketball. I love March Madness. It's the best sporting event of the year, easily. And it's just so awesome that we got the tournament this year after all the bullshit and everything that happened last year where the tournament got canceled and everything happened right at the height of coronavirus. But my goodness, March is back. We have 48 games to get to to cover thus far, so let's get with it. And the first game we're going to start off with was the game that just ruined my mood, Ohio State. I, all I got to ask is, how the hell do you lose to Oral Roberts? I mean, the dorms I lived in freshman year had more people than, than Oral Roberts does as a campus, and you lose to them? They, they, they were the worst-rated defensive team in the tournament, and yet they shut down the Ohio State offense. We couldn't do anything. I mean, Dwayne starts off 4-4, four for four, then he can't hit anything. Uh, all, we, we get open threes, and the threes just aren't falling, and they let, we let two guys beat us. I mean, how the hell do you lose a school named Oral Roberts? That was so embarrassing for Ohio State. I was, I was heartbroken, angry, astonished at that game. I truly have no idea how we lost that game. And yeah, now they're in the Sweet 16. But still, how the hell does Ohio State, one of the favorites to win it all, coming to this tournament, lose to a team like Oral Roberts? Absolute embarrassing. It was an absolute joker performance. I mean, Oral effing Roberts. Like, like, what? I never heard of that school. Who randomly decides, yeah, I think I'm going to go to Oral Roberts. Like, like I mean, who, who names their kid Oral? I, well, I looked up, it was his middle name. Like, like who names the, who, what parent decides to give their kid the middle name Oral? I mean, seriously, they think, do they want their kid to get bullied growing up for his middle name? Like, what? I mean, Jesus. Jesus Christ, that was miserable. Awful. That had to be one of the worst losses I've ever experienced as a fan for any team. Because, yeah, I've experienced heartbreak losses before and championship losses. But this was a loss to Oral fucking Roberts. Uh, what did I say, though? I did say in the last episode, I was worried just because I said the sports world loves to spite me. And what does the sports world do? Let's Oral Roberts beat Ohio State just to spite me. Did I not say it? Did I not say I was worried in the last episode? And not only that, I wasn't just worried because of the, spite, the way sports love to spite me, but just the way this, of this matchup. You know, I know college basketball. I, you know, obviously, I don't know much about Oral Roberts. The Summit League is in a mid-major league I tend to follow, but I do my research. See, uh, they obviously have Abmus leading scorer in the country. They hit the most threes per game. I've, seen, I've watched enough Ohio State to know they hate 
defending the three-point line. They will do any, they will do anything to avoid guarding the three-point line. I mean, the amount of times I've complained watching Ohio State about open three-pointers from the other team, specifically that corner spot, and that got me worried about this matchup. I knew this was going to be no cakewalk for the Ohio State Buckeyes whatsoever. Not to mention Oral Roberts and their non-conference schedule. They gave some teams, such as Arkansas, uh, a couple other tournament teams that they faced in their schedule, a push. So this was an Oral Roberts team that was probably better than a 15 seed, but regardless, doesn't excuse Ohio State's losing. And look, I mean, I, I said the reasons why I was scared, but honestly, we that's really not the reason why we lost this game. We lost this game because of the offense. You know, I felt after Dwayne starts 4-4 four for four and you have Admiss heating up, and I actually tweeted this out, that this was going to be a bad haul game between Dwayne Washington and Admiss. Uh, well, unfortunately, Dwayne goes 3 of 17 the rest of the way, finishes just 7 of 21, and the offense was atrocious. Oral Roberts has the worst defensive rating of any team in the tournament, and yet we were 5 of 21 from 3. We shot 43% from the field. We turned the ball over 16 times against the worst-rated defense in the tournament. How the hell do you do that? It was actually so embarrassing and sloppy. And, you know, and again, the defense was good. We held them to 35.7% shooting. Outside of Admis and uh, the other guy, I can't really know how to say his name. Uh, those two combined for 59 points. The rest of the team had 16 points. We let two men beat us. We were, we were at one point the number four team in the country, and we let two men beat us from Oral Roberts University. Absolutely embarrassing. You know, if I had to give one criticism of the defense, it was definitely the six. It was only forcing six turnovers. Just what a what a joke and sloppy play. And guess what? You know, one reason why we have these turnovers, you get guys open looks. Guys are getting open looks from three and missing them. We're missing our open shots. You're missing your open shots. Uh, or Roberts is going to leave our guys open from three if they're not falling. Instead, they're crashing in the paint. They're crashing on Liddell, which means Liddell's not getting as much going in the post. It means that we're forcing that more, more of the passes that we're forcing inside now are being turned over because they're trapping E.J. Liddell inside the post. And it just sucked. And not to mention, this team, which is a pretty damn good free throw shooting team, went 9 of 18 from the line, 50% of your free throws. Like, come on, you can't be doing that. Dwayne Washington, we're down four late. He has a chance to hit two free throws that will make it a two-point game. Misses both of them. An 83% free throw shooter misses both the free throws late. C.J. Walker, the, league's, the country's leading free throw shooter, misses a free throw. And... When we're up three, a chance to make it a four-point game with 35 seconds left. E.J. Liddell misses the free throw. They get the end one. It goes to overtime, and it sucked. Then you have that Dwayne chucking up that ridiculous three to tie it at the end. We get the offensive rebound. Dwayne gets a beautiful look from the top of the key. We've seen that go in so many times this year, and he misses it. He just misses it, and it absolutely broke me. I still can't believe we lost this game to Oral freaking Roberts, man. This this sucked. Uh, I, I will give them credit, though. They drew up a hell of a game plan. Their guys are incredible. Uh, the way they were able to, to you know, force, force the turnover, especially in the low post, just sucked. 
And if you're an Ohio State fan going after E.G. Liddell, you're not a true Ohio State fan because if you would ever go after a player like that, uh, that's just disgusting, and he really should be getting psychiatric help instead of watching sports. And E.G. Liddell was, you know, no matter who this is, you shouldn't be attacking like that. But you can appreciate everything E.G. Liddell did for this team all season. At the end of the day, I'm proud of this team. We were not expected to be as good as we were. We made it up to number four in the country. Were there issues? Was I a little skeptical of how far this team could reach? Yes, but I love this team. This team was so much fun to watch. I was along for the journey the entire year. You know, I'm glad they didn't have any COVID pauses. They got through the issue, the, se the season unscathed, allowed me to watch my Buckeyes without any interruptions this season. And, man, it just sucks that we lost this game. I'm going to miss watching them, but at least now I can root for my bracket to do well or just for madness. Next game I want to talk about from the South region was the first game of the tournament, and it was a great first game we were treated to, Florida-Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech was kind of leading this game most of the time. It was never a blowout per se, but Virginia Tech consistently was up by three, four, five, six, seven points. Gators never really uh, were out of the game, but they were, never in, they were never ahead until late in the game when they started going on a hot streak down the stretch. Uh, Castleton was fantastic in all phases of the game, scoring, rebounding, coming up with big block shots for the Gators when they needed them. And we got our first good big shot of the tournament. Naheem Allian, he drilled a three, just beating the buzzer to force overtime in the 7-10 matchup. And that shot was what made everybody say, this is March, and made everybody think about this is why we missed the tournament. And it made Dick Vitale say, are you serious? Are you serious? I've been told I do my a pretty good Dickie V impression. Uh, it was a fun game to watch. Trey Mann hit another hit, was joined that big shot club, hit a huge shot at Dagger, and that put that put Florida up four with about under 30 seconds left in overtime and secured the win for the Gators. Allowed on to move on to the round of 32, where they would then face Oral Roberts. And my goodness, Oral Roberts, Cinderella has a name, and his name is Oral Robert. I mean, a 15 seed is going to the Sweet 16. And honestly, uh, I'm glad because we're not the only team to lose to Oral Roberts now. Had Florida crushed them, uh, were a statistic at this point. And, we, and this is just... I mean, this isn't like a mid-major that I was expected to do well. They were a fourth seed in the Summit League tournament. North Dakota State, South Dakota State were expected to represent that conference, as one of those teams tends to usually do. And the Summit League has put off upsets in the past. But what a story from Oral Roberts. Obama, or however you say his name, Admis, they combined for 54 points once again. And similar to Florida, where you know they were trailing late, or similar when they played Ohio State, they were trailing a bit late. But they made some big plays late in the game, forcing Florida in the turnovers and hit big shots down the stretch to pull off the stunning upset. When Florida got up 12 in the second half, it appeared they were going to run away. But Oral Roberts never gave up. They kept, they kept fighting and they hit their free throws, which they do the second best in the country. If there's one issue that Florida has to complain about here... It's a discrepancy in free throws because Oral Roberts shot about 14. There's 60 more free throws than Florida did as a team. I definitely would be upset about that if I'm the Gators. But Cinderella, you have a name, and that name is Oral freaking Roberts. Uh, we're going to stay in the South region here. Uh, Colgate, Arkansas. 
So this actually had potential to be the first big upset in the making. Colgate, they built a 14-point lead in the first half, up 33-19. However, Arkansas finished their first half on a 17-0 run uh, to take a three-point lead. And early on in the second half, Colgate somewhat stuck around. Uh, they traded buckets for a bit, but similar to where they ended the first half, Arkansas then went on a run. Their defense was able to clamp down, stop Colgate from scoring, while the offense was just going off. You would... Justin Smith was fantastic once again. The transfer from Indiana has been a dynamic duo with Moses Moody for the Razorbacks team. And honestly, this is one of those games that kind of felt like the over was a lock. You thought these two teams, it's just going to be nonstop scoring, nonstop scoring. Well, clearly the over, I guess, was not as much of a lock as we thought it was going to be. A big reason for that was... These two teams never, this game never really got an offensive flow. And by that I mean, you would early on when Colgate built that lead, Arkansas wasn't scoring, and it's why Colgate built a 14-point lead. And then Arkansas just multiple times went on runs where they were prohibiting Colgate from scoring. So it was a game mostly of runs and one team getting enough flow as opposed to both teams. But, uh, you know, congrats to the must boss. They moved, on, they moved on to the round of 32 in a tough 3-14 matchup. And they were to duel the winner of Texas Tech versus Utah State, where Utah State led this game pretty early, but then Texas Tech ended up going on a stretch in the first half, building a seven-point lead, eventually had a slight lead at the half. Um, the second half was relatively close, to be honest, but uh, the Red Raiders eventually go on a 13 nothing run, and from there, that's when they kind of took the lead and never looked back. Later on in the game, they, opened, they go on a 9-2 run, and that opened up a 15-point lead where it was just over for Texas Tech. You had Mac McClung, my guy, big, you know, or pro Mac McClung podcast. He dropped 16 points. And this Texas Tech team resembled a lot more of that Texas Tech team that made it to the Final Four in two tournaments ago. The Chris Beard team that forces a lot of turnovers as they forced 22 of them, and it was awesome. I was excited for, round, for, the, for this next game. I said Chris Beard versus Eric Musselman. Mac McClung versus Moses Moody. This was definitely a game to get your popcorn ready, and it was the second-round game I was most excited for. And the game honestly did live up to the hype. At first it didn't. Arkansas built a huge lead and was really just dominating Texas Tech for probably from the midpoint way of the first half to really the midpoint way of the second half. This was all Arkansas. They were up 56-43, and then Texas Tech just went on a run. Next thing we know, this was just... A two-point game, a quick 11-0 run for the Red Raiders. And it meant we had this game where it was going to come down to the wire. Uh, it was a classic three versus six matchup. Obviously, these were two of the most fun teams to watch in the country all year long. Two of the most efficient offenses in the country. And, you know, Mac McClung didn't have his best game. Got off just six shots, had just nine points. Usually when Texas Tech has gone on these runs for comebacks, it's been led by him, but this was mostly Nicola and Terrence Shannon Jr., who had 20 and 15 respectively, uh, helping Texas Tech get back in this game. And it was it was close. They had a chance to win it at the end, but Arkansas just made some great defensive plays down the stretch. As while they're not the best defensive team, they made the defensive plays needed. Uh, they held Texas Tech to just 36% shooting. You know, if Texas Tech didn't go 10 to 20 from three-point range, they don't nearly come back in this game. Also, Arkansas shot 4-17 from three, so that played a part of it. But the must bus, they're now moving on to the Sweet 16. A 3-6 matchup was one of the few things in normalcy we actually got early on in this tournament. 
and now Arkansas has a date with Oral Roberts, a team who they already beat in the regular season, but now this was a much different Oral Roberts team. And Arkansas, watch out because they are coming for you boys. Moving on to the top part of the region now. You know, Baylor, they beat Hartford. It's a classic 116, which happens almost every time but one time. Uh, Hartford did cover, though, so good for them. Uh, one of the... Oh, excuse me, I just hit the mic. Uh, one of the bigger shocks of the day was in, a, was in an 8-9 matchup in UNC-Wisconsin. Honestly, you would have thought that this was like a 116 matchup the way everybody was on UNC, myself included. But nope, Wisconsin crushed UNC really from tip-off to final buzzer in this game. UNC never stood a chance against the Badgers, and it was a great game. Uh... Obviously, you guys know I've gotten on Brad Davison's case a lot on this show. He shoots 35% from the field. There's been a number of games where he goes 1-4-0-4, but he was fantastic against UNC. He was 10 of 15. He had 5 of 7 from 3, 29 points, and him and Demetri Trice, both of them being red hot from 3, is a huge reason why the Badgers moved on, beat UNC. And it became one of those things where seniors matter in March. That was one of that was really the Wisconsin's saving grace all year was the fact they had the five seniors, although the play was not as good. And you know, give, even give them credit, they out rebounded UNC with their due to their size. They outshot UNC. People thought, uh oh, seniors in March does Wisconsin have a run? But then they came across Baylor, and yeah, people were skeptical of Baylor because they had the loss to Kansas, the loss to Oklahoma State. Had not looked the same since COVID, but Baylor is back. Look, when they came back from COVID, they had to finish all these games in a short amount of time. Now they, Baylor, after losing to Oklahoma State, had about a week off to kind of get their act together between the Big 12 tournament and NCAA tournament. And now the Baylor from the from their pre-COVID pause is fully back. Uh, I said that there was reason to be concerned for this team, so I was part of that camp. Don't get me wrong. But oh my God, I feel dumb for even being nervous, for being a little bit nervous about Baylor. You know, Wisconsin's up seven to two early, and it looks like, uh oh, Badgers, Badgers, you never know, seniors in March. But then from there, it was all Baylor. Went on a big run early on. Uh, never really, it was never really close. The closest it was was a seven point game. Wisconsin did make it interesting to make it seven in the second half, but this game was never really in doubt. Uh, Mitchell and Butler, they each had 16 apiece. Mayer had 17. And Bad Brad was back for Wisconsin in this game. He had just three made shots. And, you know, the you know people were worried about this team, like I said. But they're back, Wisconsin. Sorry you guys lost, but hey, your seniors can come back next year. Uh, then Baylor would be playing either in this 4-13, matchup. I said North Texas was going to give Purdue or Purdue some trouble, and I was right about that. I told you about this matchup, and North Texas gave Purdue a lot of fits inside. Uh, Travion Williams, he had just 14 points, shot 7 of 15. You know, Late in the game, he was getting buckets. They honestly maybe should have fed Travion Williams a bit more. But for North Texas, four guys at 13 points. Javion Hamlet, the Conference USA Player of the Year, had 24, 12, and 5. And this is the fourth consecutive tournament. A conference USA tournament has a conference USA team has won their first game in the tournament. So you know this may this might be a conference that we don't want to sleep on as much. 
Uh, I thought they maybe be able to give Villanova a game because all Villanova had really was James Robinson Earl. And if they could contain him the way they did with Williams, North Texas could have been a Cinderella. Uh, obviously, I was against Nova. I was very high on the Winthrop bandwagon. I thought they were going to pull off the upset. But James Robinson Earl had 22-11-5. Nova got their first one without Connor Gillespie. And again, I thought that that North Texas would beat them and they would handle, handle, them, handle, handle James Robinson Earl inside. But I was wrong. Uh, Nova shot 15 to 30 from three-point range. Dominated North Texas. North Texas had like a six-point lead early. But Villanova responded with a huge, I believe it was an 18 nothing run to build a 12-point lead. Up by as much as 23 in this game. And yeah, the Wildcats just dominated. They looked to be backed. And, you know, it's, it's Jay Wright. That was dumb of me to pick against Jay Wright against these two crappy teams. Uh, so overall, I did pretty shitty pick in this region. Uh, Arkansas, Baylor, and Texas Tech were the only three games I got right in the first round. And I had, I, I had OSU in my Final Four bracket. Uh, just that's more of my biasy, but I, I, I still had Baylor beating them. Uh, but I had, you know, I had to do it for the craziness. And Arkansas now is Arkansas and Baylor are now the only two teams I have correctly in my Sweet 16. Uh, I want to move on now to the Midwest region. So, you know, Illinois versus Drexel. Uh, this game was never really in doubt. It was a 116 matchup, blowout from start to finish. It wasn't one of those where it was a 16 seed hangs around early. No, blowout from start to finish. Uh, Illinois was set to face the winner of Loyola Chicago versus Georgia Tech, which was a game I was very hyped for. I talked about saying it was the best game of the first round. And then this cruel disease hits, and Moses Wright, ACC Player of the Year, test positive and he can't play, and that sucked. We were robbed of Cam Crutwig versus Moses Wright, and honestly, so looked like we were going to get a really good game. Georgia Tech, they established a quick 13-3 lead, but Loyola was up by five at the half, and the second half, early on, it was a relative fight, but, and you know, Loyola was even down three midway through, but then they began to go on a run. Tech started missing their shots, and from there, Loyola never looked back. That defense, the number one rated defense in the country, made a ton of big plays late. Uh, excuse me, number one in terms of points per game allowed. Uh, made a lot of big plays late. Loyola hit their free throws to move on late. And it set up a bat, an in-state battle against Illinois. And what did me and Mike talk about in the last episode? We said that Illinois, we said that Loyola Chicago could give Illinois a hell of a run. And we were both right about it. I actually had Loyola Chicago winning in one of my brackets because I kind of needed some madness, and I really thought the upset could happen. You have a team like Loyola Chicago, underseeded, clearly feeling disrespected, being put an eight seed in the in the tournament. They're playing an in-state rival, Illinois, who is an in-state Power Five conference, Power Five team, while Loyola Chicago is an, a mid-major team. You've seen a March Madness before that in these in-state games, the mid-majors will get up for their big in-state rival. It happened with Wichita State versus Kansas. It happened with Dayton, Ohio State a few years ago. It happened even with Abilene Christian versus Texas the other day. And now it happened with Loyola Chicago versus the Illinois Fighting Illini. And they dominated this game. Uh, I love the way that Illinois and Loyola Chicago matched up against Illinois as well. They had the defense, though, again, Number one in terms of least amount of points per games allowed. 
They trapped Ayo Dosumu all game long. Dosumu never got comfortable. Had easily his worst game of the season. Shot just 4 of 11. He had 7 turnovers in the game. Looking incredibly sloppy. Honestly, somewhat folding in this game. And I'm happy about this. I, I, so I said that they were going to limit Kofi Cockburn to the Crutwig and their offensive rebounding size inside. And, and they did limit Cockburn in the first half, holding him to only 7. He had a big second half, ended up finishing the game with over 20 points, but uh, but it didn't matter. You know, Loyola kind of let him get his points in the second half while no one else was going. I think Adam Miller, who had 10 points on 4-6 shooting, probably should have been touching the ball a bit more. But my God, what a game for Loyola Chicago. They drew up the perfect defensive game plan against Ayo Dosumu and against this team. They forced 17 turnovers. Dosumu never got in a rhythm. Again, he, he had the seven turnovers. Looked just awful. Looked like a, he looked like the lost puppy where the Loyola defense was just truly amazing. And honestly, this, this is on the committee. That was so not fair to give Loyola Chicago an eight seed by almost every metric in the season. They were a top 10 team, at worst a top 15 team. You know, and they give them a, an 8 seed where you're, you're punishing Georgia Tech in an 8-9 game for winning the ACC by giving them an 8 seed that's a top 10 team. And you're punishing a team like, you're, you're punishing a team like Illinois where they have to face an 8 seed that's not really an 8 seed in the second round. At the very worst, Loyola Chicago should be the 8 seed in Michigan's reason, region where Michigan should be having to face the toughest 8 seed. It's honestly just a shame the committee did this. But Loyal Chicago, I'm happy for you guys. You gotta love me some Sister Jeannie. 101 years old, 102 years old. I don't know how she hasn't croaked yet, but she's loving this. And yeah, she gave a huge speech that may have ended up winning Loyal of that game. Uh, I'm happy though because I wasn't tuned too well my bracket challenge. Uh, I'm in a few, so I had to make a few changes here and there. Uh, so I had Loyola in the, pulling off the upset. Not many people did. And that's very big for me. Very, very big for me. Although I just did lose West Virginia in that, which I'll get into shortly here. Uh, I want to get into the first Oregon State. What did I say all year? What have I been saying? I mean, I, I hope you guys who are listening didn't pick Tennessee because I'll, I'll spell it out for you one more time. Tennessee is F. R-A-U-D-S. Frauds, frauds, frauds. I said it, I said it since they were since the preseason that Tennessee is a fraudulent team. I was never sold on this team. And I said, no matter who they were playing, as a five, if they were a five seed, I was going to pick against them. I'll be honest. With Oregon State, I was a bit nervous. Thought they were probably the worst of the 12 seeds. But, oh, boy, was I definitely wrong about that because Oregon State hammered Tennessee from tip-off to the final buzzer. It was never even close. People thought without Fulkerson, Tennessee still stood a chance. This was the five, you know, this was the five seed that almost everybody had winning, everybody but me, because I know that this team is fraudulent. And the Pac-12 was just fantastic. Oregon State, a team that nobody thought was going to even do anything, was you know, an afterthought. No one even thought about them on the bubble or anything. Somehow are now in the tournament, and they moved on to the round of 32 where they were to set the face Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, who escaped against Liberty, really did not play too well in this game. You know, Cade was not very sharp. Uh, he was just 3 of 14, hit 2 of 8 from 3. Avery Anderson had 21 points, and it was a very defensive game, which Oklahoma State was able to survive and advance 
to the round of 32. And we had OSU versus OSU. And now Oregon State is in the Sweet 16. Oregon State, a team that had, was an afterthought in the tournament. Not, not a bubble team. Not, not, not even a bubble team. The team that was projected to finish last in the Pac-12. And now they're in the Sweet 16. I mean, if, if you don't like March Madness, you're just a sick, twisted person at the end of the day. The fact that a team like Oregon State and a team like Oral Roberts can be in the Sweet 16, it's just madness. It really is just madness. And Oregon State, they've dominated their first two opponents. Listen, they dominated Tennessee from start to finish, and they dominated Oregon State in this game. Uh, Oregon State made a few runs, or excuse me, they dominated Oklahoma State in this game. Oklahoma State did make a few runs to make it a one-possession game, but they were never able to hit that shot to really take the lead or tie it. Anytime they had a chance, there was multiple possessions where they got good looks from three, and they were missing them. You had the one possession where uh, down two, missed both free throws, get the re offensive rebound, missed the three, get the offensive rebound, missed the three again, and Oklahoma State just didn't take advantage of their opportunity. Oregon State, who as many said was one of the worst defenses in this tournament, holds Oklahoma State the 27.7% shooting from the field. And yeah, again, some of that was on Oklahoma State, but hats off to the Beavers. I mean, if, you if anyone said this team was going to be in the Sweet 16, much less the tournament beginning of the season, People would have thought you were crazy. And Oregon State is just one of many Pac-12 teams who had a great first weekend and are looking to have a potential even better day. Uh, we're going to now go back and touch on West Virginia, Moorhead State. Talked about Moorhead State could push West Virginia. I said I had West Virginia in my Final Four, and it was a high-scoring game. That was an easy over. Uh, Deuce McBride, he was just so nice this game, dropping 30 points. And the, the, the concern with West Virginia was giving up points, which they did, but they ran their press effectively, they got rebounds, and they hit their threes. Usually a West Virginia recipe for success. Uh, their opponent in the round of 32, Syracuse, also had an easy win. This is the start of Bayheim magic. The start of uh, Buddy Bayheim with his 30 points, just had a hot game. Jim Bayheim doing his usual thing that he does in March where he goes on a bit of a run, especially when people don't think Syracuse can make it. And yeah, he really does go on a bit of a run because they beat West Virginia, and that hurts for me because I had them in my Final Four. But at 11 seed, the Syracuse Orange are back in the Sweet 16. It's incredible how Syracuse always finds a way to do this. Whenever they're not, never people are questioning if they should have been in the tournament. I mean, they did it as the 10 seed going to the Final Four. They did it three years ago as the 11 seed, beating Michigan State, going to the Sweet 16. And here they are again in the Sweet 16. Buddy Bayheim was freaking awesome once again. 25 points, six three-pointers. He's the hottest player in the country right now. I don't think you can argue that there's one player who's been hotter than Buddy Bayheim is over the last three weeks. It's absurd what he's doing. He is Syracuse not even looking like a Cinderella, but Syracuse looking like a top 10 team right now. Uh, and this was a game where they got off to a rocking start, looked like they were potentially going to blow West Virginia out of the water in this game. Opened up a 14-point lead in the second half. Oh, they were up big in the first half as well. Eventually, West Virginia chipped into that lead, and it was just six at the half. But we go to the second half. Syracuse opens up a 14-point lead. And what if I... We've seen so many times with West Virginia this year. They get down double digits, and what happens? Sam McNeil, the Irishman, 
I don't know. I'm pretty sure he's. I don't even know if he's Irish, but I'm gonna start calling him the Irishman. Hits threes after threes, limitless range. I mean, he's he, when he was a microwave, Sam McNeil. He cannot miss, and he gets West Virginia right back in this game. I watched a lot of West Virginia this year, a lot of West Virginia, and I've seen this happen a number of times in West Virginia basketball games. They get back into this game. All of a sudden, we're set for a great finish. Once West Virginia takes the lead, Syracuse responds with a bit of a run and ends up building up another six-point lead and eventually a nine-point lead with 115 left. So, you know, game over. Syracuse is going to win. Although, West Virginia hits their threes. Press Virginia gives Syracuse fits with inbounding, and all of a sudden, it's a very close game. And all of a sudden, with two seconds left, West Virginia is down two. And Syracuse has been having trouble inbounding the ball. They get an inbounds pass. It looks like there could have been a jump ball. West Virginia would have gotten possession back. But the refs called a foul. And I personally think it was a jump ball. That could be my biasy having West Virginia in my Final Four and just loving Bobby Huggins in the press. And just wanted to see even more of a wild ending. Uh, refs call a foul, though. Uh, Buddy Behan goes 1-2 from the line. Secures this game. And Syracuse escapes, becoming just the third seed in this bracket to be... The third team in this bracket to be eight seeded or lower to move on to the Sweet 16. And that was just so awesome. That really, really was an exciting game to watch. Shout out to West Virginia for fighting back the way they did. I love the Huggy Bears. Love me some Bob Huggins. And but again, congrats to Syracuse. They just somehow always find a way to make a run. Uh gonna wrap up the South Region. Uh Texas or Houston. Blew out Cleveland State. Uh, this is what a 215 matchup should happen. Shouldn't be like what happens with Ohio State Oral Roberts. That's what a 215 really looks like. Uh, so yeah, they easily win. And then we have Rutgers Clemson. Very defensive game, which, you know, if anyone who watches college basketball, you had to expect that game was gonna be all defense. Sure enough, it was. Uh Geo Baker hit some Ruck uh, Geo Baker and McConnell. Caleb McConnell both had big shots late, coming up with late steals for Rutgers. Geo Baker got, or McConnell got that late steal, pass it ahead to Geo Baker for that lay-in. And from there, the Rutgers faithful was moving on to the round at 32. Uh, first time since 1983. We have a lot of Rutgers friends, a lot of friends who are Rutgers fans, obviously, being from New Jersey. Lots of people go there. They were very thrilled. And Rutgers could have been the fourth team seated eight or lower in this bracket, to have made it to the Sweet 16. Uh, but they choked the game away. And I feel bad for my friends who are Rutgers fans. I would have loved the chaos in this bracket. I would have loved if we had 10 versus 11, 8 versus 12 in the Sweet 16. That would have just been awesome. Just because college basketball is just awesome. It's the best. It really is just the best. But they're up 58 to 49. Under five minutes left, and the Scarlet Knights have been really playing harassing defense all game long. So it really appears, uh-oh, Scarlet Knights, they might have this. Scarlet Knights could be moving on to the round of 32, or to the Sweet 16. Unfortunately, uh, Houston ends this game on a 14-2 run for them. Uh, they just get one shot the rest of the way there, and they blew it. I feel bad for the Rutgers faithful. Uh, Grimes was clutch. He was hitting big shots late, including free throws to put Rutgers away. And for my for my friends who are Rutgers fans, specifically, shout out Nicole Woodstock, biggest Rutgers basketball fan I know. Uh, you know, I'm sorry you guys lost. 
but you have to be happy with this season. I know you guys are. Uh, this was just a special season for Rutgers fans. Last year was supposed to be their first time going to the tournament. Obviously, COVID happened. They don't go. No, There's no tournament last year. But this year, had an up-and-down season, but ended up making the tournament for the first time since 92-93, or 91-92. Won their first tournament game since 1983. It was a special season for the Rutgers faithful. Steve Peichel is building a special program there. And I think with the way he coaches and the way he's sort of building Rutgers recruiting, Rutgers is going to be at least a team to contend with in the Big Ten for the next few seasons. Uh, so overall with this bracket, I uh, had a pretty pretty good first day in this side of the bracket. I went 7-1 on the first day, which was great. But I lost all my Sweet 16 teams with the exception of Houston. Uh, so my bracket that has Loyola Chicago in the Sweet 16 is actually doing fine. But in my, my actual picks, I didn't have Loyola in the Sweet 16. I just believe they could win that game. Uh, all right, so I'm going to, you know, it's still Monday. I'm going to go watch the rest of the games from the East region now and the South region, or excuse me, the East region, East region and the West region, and we'll have full coverage of the rest of these games coming up shortly. All right, we are now going to move on and talk the East region, uh, Michigan. They dominate Texas Southern in their first game. And that actually, that and the LSU St. Bonaventure game were the only two games I didn't bet on in the first round, actually. Although I would have taken Texas Southern to cover it like they did. Uh, LSU versus the Bonnies, you know, was, it was close a little bit, but in the end, the Bonnies got blown out. You know, Mike Mack, who came on the show earlier, that was obviously, he said that was his team that he was really hyped and believed in, but they were out in the first round. Uh, Cam Thomas was fantastic in this game, and once LSU got up in the early or midway through the first half, they never really looked back in this game. Uh, for LSU, and then I uh, moved on. We were L it was LSU Michigan, and this was an awesome game, uh, high scoring game. LSU they led by as much as eight in the first half. Uh, although Michigan they did end the first half strong, and eventually they took a forty-three to forty-two lead into the locker room, but then this just became a game of runs, and really, it was a late 14-1 run for the Wolverines that allowed them to take an eight-point lead with about six minutes left, and from there, they never looked back. I mean, this offense performed extremely well despite the absence of Isaiah Livers. Uh, Eric Brooks, he had 21 points, shot 7 of 11, and Sean D. Brown, the transfer from Wake Forest, he added his 21 points. That was a career high for him since he transferred over from Wake Forest, so yeah. A great win for the Wolverines. People were definitely a little nervous about this team. This was a popular upset pick, a popular 8-1 upset pick due to the fact Michigan was, that, was without livers, but they move on. They're going to the Sweet 16. Uh, there's Colorado, Georgetown. This was kind of a shocking blowout. You know, Everybody was on the Hoyas bandwagon, and they lose this game. And it wasn't just that they lost, but Colorado hammered them shooting 60% from the field, 64% from three, and they held Georgetown just 39%, 39.7% shooting from the field, and nobody saw this dominant performance coming. Uh, Wright, a guy, you know, he doesn't do much for, excuse me, I'm blanking out. Jabari Walker, he doesn't do much for this team, but he shot 9 of 10. 
5 of 5 from 3. He, his career high in 3-pointers made was just 3 prior to this. And you had McKinley Wright. He had 13 assists. An absolutely dominant win for Colorado in this game. They played FSU, who beat UNC Greensboro in a closer-than-expected game, despite hitting zero threes. And they still shot 52% in that game. And they just saw, and it clearly showed how deep FSU is and the many ways they can beat you. And then it set up FSU Colorado. This game currently has a minute left, and it's an 18-point game. Things went differently. Colorado was nowhere near as hot. They shot just 37%, 26% from downtown. Nobody on their offense was able to get going, and Florida State just blew them out, dominating this game from start to finish. Colorado had some chances in the second half, but even when they were trailing this game, never felt like it was particularly close, and the Seminoles easily won this game, led by <coughs> Raekwon, Gray, Raekwon, Gray, Raekwon Gray's 11 points and Anthony Polite's 22 as FSU is now moving on to play Michigan in the Sweet 16 in a game that's going to be very, very exciting. Uh, staying in the South region now, uh, we're going to talk about Bama-Iona quickly. It wasn't the best one for Alabama. They were a little sloppy, and they honestly struggled with them in the first half. Uh, they did win this game, but they, they really were not impressive, and really was uh, not much of a blowout win at all that people kind of expected. But hey, Rick Pitino played a good game. Uh, UConn-Maryland. So, I know in the last episode I kind of called UConn a sleeper in this. But uh, I ended up switching my bracket pick to Maryland. Uh, at the end of the day, this team just really was not that good. The Big East wasn't that good. This team was also was just James Booknight. And look, I like James Booknight. He's a really good player. He's not Shabazz Napier. He's not Kemba Walker. UConn was way too popular of a sleeper pick where I'm just like, you know what? This one Maryland's going to win. And it wasn't even just a Maryland win. It was a dominating game from tip-off to final buzzer. Uh, Eric Ayala was huge for them. Aaron Wiggins, he had a 14. And the Terrapins just took a game and good for them because people were really, really skeptical of this team. And honestly, have been called, they've been called the worst team in the Big Ten that qualified for the tournament. Uh, then we have Maryland versus them. These two teams played each other, Maryland-Bama. It's actually going on right now still, but this is just an absolute slaughter of a basketball game at the moment. Alabama's currently up by 21. They've outscored Maryland 26-13 in the second half. They're just raining threes, 14 of 28 from downtown. It is just absurd. They're shooting, and you know, Maryland's shooting 50% from the field, but Alabama's offense is just too damn good right now. Uh... And their defense, still one of the most efficient in the country. Bama just really cannot miss. Uh, and, yeah, they're still my pick to come out of this region, obviously. But great win for them. And Bama's, Bama's good. At the end of the day, that's all there, that's all there is. You know, Maryland, they, they, they were never going to hang with Bama, to be, to be frank. It just was not going to happen. You had UCLA, BYU. UCLA was... Another 11 seed would be the 6 seed. And, comfort and then another team who was comfortably in charge of this game from the tip-off to the final buzzer. This is now, all but one year, a team from the first four has made has won at least one tournament game. And this year it was UCLA. Johnny Juzang, he had another fantastic game. You know, he had 23 in the first four win over Michigan State. 
He had 27 in the win over BYU. And even though I didn't think Mich- I didn't think UCLA was gonna beat Michigan State, I still had UCLA winning this game regardless. And horns down, baby! Texas lost in upset fashion at the hands of Abilene Christian. This was an upset that very few saw coming. Although Mike and I talked about it on the last episode that it could happen. What do we say? Turnovers. They forced 23 of them. They shot under 30%, but the Wildcats were so pesky and forced 22 turnovers that they were able to win this game. Andrew Jones hits that three to give Texas the lead with under 20 seconds left, and it appears that Texas was going to win that game. But Abilene Christian got... Lucky with a very, very controversial foul call, which honestly probably wasn't a foul, but they ended up hanging on for the victory. I took Aberdeen plus eight in this game, and it ended up being my eighth straight victory to end the first round. So I ended the first round extremely hot. Uh, Yeah, just um, uh, unbelievable, unbelievable win for Abilene Christian. Another one of those teams where in-state playing the big, Big team that's your in-state, the representative of that state, and you beat them. Then when it was UCLA versus Abilene Christian, UCLA kind of just cruised the victory. Abilene really just had no chance. They had a 12-8 lead, which soon turned into a massive deficit, following an 18-0 UCLA run. From there, it was all Bruins. They won by 20. Ju Zhang, again, was fantastic. He had 17 points, and UCLA is moving on to the Sweet 16. So I went 7-1 with my picks in the first round this region. The one game I got wrong being the Texas game, although I was I kind of wasn't too surprised about that. And I do have my entire Sweet 16 from the original bracket in this. From my, my original Sweet 16 that I had is still alive in this bracket. And lastly, I want to talk about the West region. Let's start off Gonzaga. Steam rolled a victory over Norfolk State in the first game. I mean, they were playing like their third-string guys, and they were just having fun out there. You had Oklahoma versus Missouri then. Uh, you know, no Davion Harmon. I figured it could be a closer game than initially thought, but it wasn't really a problem for Oklahoma. And Missouri, another team like Tennessee that I've been calling frauds all year. Now, I will say it definitely was a competitive game, but you had Brandon Manick. Harkless, Austin Reeves, all three of them were fantastic this game. And they probably won this game because of their experience playing that Big 12 gauntlet. Allowed them to deal with a Missouri team, which played in a relatively weak SEC. But this Oklahoma team, the gauntlet was not a big enough test for Gonzaga. Gonzaga just cruised to a victory over Oklahoma as well. The only thing that was really nerve-wracking about this game was taking Gonzaga's spread. That was very, that was very close. But Timmy, he balled out 30 points, 13 rebounds. Oklahoma had no chance with stopping him. And look, this team gave it their all. They played a really, really good basketball game. But it just wasn't enough because Gonzaga is just too damn good. They gave it their all. They played a hell of a game. And yet they were still no match for the Zags. It's just insane what this team does. Uh, one of the more entertaining games of the first round was UCSB versus Creighton. Uh, the Gauchos, they gave Creighton all they can have also. <clears throat> Unfortunately, they just couldn't get their shots, a couple shots to fall. 
including a late one that really that would have won him this game. Now Zigarowski, he had 17 points. He shot seven as seven of 11 shoot. He shot. He had 17 points on seven of 11 shooting. But I will say this game, it was very intense. But it was kind of anticlimactic at the ending. Uh, there was a few free throws. That's what it was. These teams are trading late leads on free throws, and honestly. Uh, you like seeing teams trading late leads in March on a big shot, step backs, not free throws. Uh, then there's there was UVA, Ohio. And I told you guys, Ohio was taking that game. UVA, coming off of COVID pause, was going to struggle. You know, Jason Preston had 11, 13, and 8. Florida with a triple-double. Virginia shot just 35%. 25.8% from downtown, and it was clear, get, getting the Indiana the day before their game and having just one practice was clearly going to affect this team, and it played a huge role in this win. Not to mention Ohio's style of play just made it very difficult for Virginia to contend with, and Ohio looked for to make a Cinderella story against Creighton, who hasn't reached the Sweet 16 in years. Uh, it looked, but this game looked like the 5-13. Ohio was really outmatched from the start, down 15 at halftime. Jason Preston was horrible this game. He had just four points on one of ten shooting, while Creighton was balanced all around. Their entire starting lineup was in double figures, and the Blue Jays now have a date with the Zags in the Sweet 16. Okay, so we had Iowa. They beat Grand Canyon. They had Luca Garza had 24 points, four three-pointers. And they really just dominated Grand Canyon. Uh, you know, they sort of hung around Grand Canyon, but it was never really close. And Iowa moved on to play Oregon because Oregon, their game against VCU, got canceled due to a positive test in the VCU program. Unfortunately, for the VCU Rams, they had to opt out of the tournament, and Oregon moved on. And Oregon just dominated Iowa. What did I say? I like the way this Oregon team matched up against Iowa a lot. And sure enough, they dominated this game. Their offense just couldn't miss. Iowa's defense looked non-existent out there. Well, it was non-existent out there. Uh, it was a, you know, they, they, the first half was relatively competitive, but Oregon closed it out on a 14-0 run to build a 10-point lead into the half. And Luka had his points. He had over 20 points in the first half. He finished with 36-17. and 17. But Oregon didn't let anybody outside of Weiss Camp get going. That's one thing I've said about Iowa. Let Luka Garza get his points. Force the other guys to beat you. And they and the rest of the guys just couldn't. Jordan Bohannon, C.J. Frederick, one of, uh, not Connor McCaffrey, all were held scoreless. And, you know, especially for Bohannon, a guy who's a senior, very disappointed end of his college career, a guy that I'm a big fan of. And, for you know, we talk about how for with Iowa, it was just Luka Garza doing all the scoring. Well, for Oregon, the wealth was spared. Was or the wealth was very spread out amongst their players. Four guys who had 17 plus. Eugene Omari, he went back to his Big Ten days. The former Scarlet Knight went at Garza and gave him all he could handle. Chris Duarte, he had 23 points. The Ducks, they move on to the Sweet 16 yet again. And Dana Altman, he continues to be a fantastic coach come March. He might be the new Izzo, honestly, with how well he does in March. Alright, and finishing things up with the first round. It's Washington it's on Eastern Washington versus Kansas. And I know I knew Eastern Washington was gonna cover and this was something I advised you guys to do. This was one of my favorite picks. 
It was a nice little backdoor cover. You love to see when that happens. And the Groves brothers, they only won them this game by themselves. They combined for 58 points. Twitter was enamored with these brothers. But the Jayhawks, they were just too much, you know. People didn't even know if McCormick was going to play this game due to COVID. However, he had was dominant. He had 22-9. Agbaji added 21. Marcus Garrett added 20. And this was just the way that the, this is the Kansas team that we've come to know that you've kind of wanted to see all year where they can spread the wealth like, like Iowa wasn't able to do. And, you know, Jalen Wilson's supposed to come back for the game against USC, and that should be massive for them. Uh, although USC, uh, they beat Drake, and they're the, they were the fourth Pac-12 team to win, and it was part of an undefeated opening round for the Pac-12. Obviously, with Oregon advancing for free, they were the fifth. It made USC the fifth team to advance, fourth team to win. Uh, Mobley, he's just pushing for top three in the draft. He had 17 and 11. His brother added 15 points. And Drake, once they got behind early in the second half, it was never really close. And I'm just going to talk about now, it looks like USC is going to be in the round of, in the Sweet 16. They're up 19 at Kansas at the half right now. Uh, I, I will come back on and finish recording if Kansas comes back in this game. But Ian Mobley has 14 points, six boards in the first half. Looked incredible. Evan Mobley had seven points, nine boards. I mean, USC has 22 rebounds compared to Kansas's 15 in the first half. They're shooting 53% compared to Kansas, who's hit just eight shots this game. It's a horrible start for the Jayhawks, and it looks like USC's clearly going to be moving on, and they'd be the fourth Pac-12 team to be in the Elite Eight. What a feat for the conference that many felt was the worst Power Six conference, and wow, great for USC. So, in the first round of this, I went 6-1. and one. Assuming USC wins, I would have had three wins then now, right? I would have had, yeah, I'd have three of the final four teams. And so overall, I'll recap my days. I went about, I went two and two in the first four, seven and ten in day one, uh, ten three and one in day two, and that brought my first round betting record to nineteen fifteen and one. And I began the round of thirty two day one. I finished that four and four. I started that three and zero. Oh. So at one point, I went through a stretch of hitting eleven straight bets. That's right. An all-time record for me, 11 in a row. I was on fire, felt like I was king of the world, 12 out of 13. I dropped my last three uh, on the first day of the round of 32, so then I ended up finishing, so then I was 4-4, four and four. and today I ended up going 5-4, and four, assuming that USC holds on in this lead. So yeah, it's been one a hell of a ride. I'm currently now 28, 28-23, uh, and won in the tournament. So, yeah, I, I've done a pretty good job, I'd say. Uh, so I just want to get, move on. Just going to quickly touch on a couple other things. LeBron James is out a few weeks uh, for the Lakers. They say about three to four. That definitely is going to hurt the Lakers as they could struggle without LeBron, who is obviously the best player in the NBA right now, best player of all time in the NBA, in my opinion. Anthony Davis, he has his injury issues as well, so that's going to hurt this team as well. And, yeah, so I'll break, down, I'll break that down more. And I'll also break down the Giants offseason a bit more in next week's episode. However, I must say, I'm thrilled about the signings of Kenny Galladay and Adoree Jackson. 
Yeah, I would love that. Love those two moves. Huge for the Giants. But again, I'll have more of a breakdown about those two signings in next week's episode. Also coming next week's episode will be my NBA trade deadline breakdown and my preview of the Sweet 16. I just want to thank everybody who supported the podcast thus far. Uh, remember, go follow Jay Bird's Eye View on Twitter for all my latest live game reactions. Go follow the Bird's Eye View podcast on Instagram for the latest updates when all the new episodes are dropping. Thank you, everybody, and have a great rest of your day.